0: Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with a podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. The autopsies we see in TV shows are usually forensic autopsies done when there's a suspicious, violent, or unknown cause of death. But there's another kind of autopsy called a clinical autopsy, and these are performed in a hospital to find and better understand someone's cause of death. Here with me to explain the value of autopsy is Dr. Robert Stoppaker. He's a professor of pathology at Upstate, and he oversees the University Hospital Autopsy Service. Welcome to The Informed Patient, Dr. Stoppaker.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with an explanation of what an autopsy is. I know it's an examination of the body after death, but what's included in that exam?
1: So as you said, an autopsy is the process of examining an individual after that individual has passed away. Uh, more specifically, I tend to break it down into three different components. Uh, one is what we call the external examination, where we look at the outside of the body, looking for any disease that may be evident on the outside of the body, looking for any kind of medical intervention that that individual may have had. Uh, And in certain situations, looking for any kind of injuries or trauma that may be present on the outside of the body. Uh, After we document uh, all of those findings on the outside uh, through written documentation and through photographs, we perform what's called the internal examination. Uh, And that involves performing surgical incisions into the body. And looking at all the internal organs, again, focusing on, is there any disease uh, that's affecting different organs or the entire body and documenting that through the course of the examination, and also through photographs. Uh, the third part is what I term the laboratory component. And that has a little bit of flexibility. Depending on the nature of the case, but it will frequently involve examining tissue samples under the microscope uh, because certain diseases, uh, let's say, for example, if someone has a mass that we identify in the lung, for example, it's important to look at that under the microscope. And through that means we can determine if it's a cancer, b some sort of infection. Uh, and if it is cancer, we can then further classify the type of cancer that it may be. Just like would be done if someone has a biopsy when they're alive and it's sent to the pathology department and it's then examined microscopically to identify the, the type of cancer, if you will. Uh, in addition to that portion of, of the examination, the lab portion also might involve doing any kind of laboratory test. So for example, if there's an infection, we may take cultures of that that area to see what the bacteria is, Uh, or on rare occasions, we may collect blood samples for potentially toxicology testing, looking for the presence of medications or or drugs. The toxicology aspect is really more something that's used more commonly in the forensic setting, as you can imagine. Uh, In most hospital-related deaths, medications, uh, or certainly illicit drugs are not really a significant concern in that situation. Uh, and so we do all three of those components that form an autopsy ultimately with the goal of trying to establish why that person died, uh, or what we call the cause of death and in most hospital-based autopsies and deaths, that's a natural process. So for example, it's some natural disease that might be heart disease, or it might be a stroke, or it might be complications related to cancer or some sort of infection. Uh, in contrast to, uh, the forensic setting where oftentimes those deaths relate to some sort of violence or trauma. Uh, And that's sort of, at at some level, that's one of the big differentiators between what you term forensic autopsies and clinical autopsies. It's it's a different population that the autopsies are being performed
0: on. So for the clinical autopsies, which are are mostly natural deaths, um, it it sounds like you have a step-by-step procedure that you follow for each one, but how long does that take?
1: It depends on the nature of the case. Uh, so there may be, uh, very complex medical conditions that the individual has, uh, that may be further complicated by prior surgeries. So anatomically or during the pro the physical process of the autopsy, it may be more, uh, intensive with respect to the, uh, dissection and, and identifying, uh, diseases and, and organs and so forth. So. I would say, on average, it, uh, a clinical or hospital autopsy takes approximately two and a half to three hours,
0: depending on what you find. I'm assuming, right? So, is it the same for an autopsy for a child versus an adult?
1: In general, yes. Uh, the, the The steps that are taken uh, are are similar. Uh, you know that doesn't change. Uh, however. Obviously, having a knowledge uh, of infant or or child anatomy is important, particularly when we're dealing with uh, neonates uh, or other disease processes that may have uh, required some sort of surgical procedure, such as congenital heart disease or a disease of the heart that the child is born with. Uh, But the general process doesn't change, however. It's having a knowledge of what diseases children are more likely to have. And as you can imagine, most of the time, because these deaths occur in the hospital or the patients have been in the hospital for some period of time, there's lots of documentation as far as medical records and imaging. So x-rays and CT scans that uh, give us a better understanding of what maybe the issues related to that particular case that we need to focus on.
0: So I know that you're in search of a cause of death, but when the deceased had a multitude of medical problems, how do you tell which of the diseases is the one that killed them?
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, And what As I previously described, as we go through all the different organ systems uh, in the process of performing an autopsy, uh, we see if there's pathology or disease in a particular organ. And some of that disease may be what we call chronic or maybe something that we might expect in someone ages. Uh, and that may be different than something that is superimposed on that that drastically caused a change uh, in their condition. So, for example, someone with emphysema or COPD, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, that disease is very evident when we do an autopsy. However, the fa- fact that they may have pneumonia on top of that might give us a better understanding uh, of why that individual died. Uh, I think the other important consideration is even though we're pathologists and not clinical physicians who deal directly with patients most of the time, we do have quite a bit of knowledge about clinical medicine and, and the correlation between what we're seeing at the autopsy and what the clinical symptoms and the clinical course of that patient, uh, were very important to uh, look at in conjunction with one another. And, and that's probably the best way to determine what actually caused that individual's death rather than other diseases that may simply be present. Uh, and in all honesty, oftentimes it's some combination of multiple, uh, diseases that probably worked in, in unison, uh, uh-huh. uh, to co- ultimately produce that
0: how common is it to find something that surprises either you or the family during an autopsy?
1: It's not uncommon. Many times we will find uh, something that was not identified throughout the, the life of that patient. Oftentimes, those are some of them may be what we call incidental. Uh, For example, it might be a cyst on the kidney or a cyst on the liver or or something that's of relatively little significance. Uh, That's a relatively common uh, occurrence. Uh, In contrast, finding something that is completely unknown that is going to affect or or may have caused that individual's death happens less frequently, but it does happen, Uh, I think. There is sort of a misconception nowadays that with the imaging that we have, CT scans, MRIs, and all the additional laboratory and diagnostic tests that uh, are available, that the autopsies not useful. Uh, And history has shown numbers wise that the rates of autopsies in teaching hospitals has dramatically decreased over the past two decades. Uh, even at the largest academic and teaching institutions. However, study after study has also shown that the autopsy remains the best way to identify diseases that may have been not identified in life or misdiagnosed in life. Uh, As I said, that doesn't happen that often, but it does occur on occasion.
0: So what sorts of things do you look for that might be important for the survivors to know in terms of family medical history?
1: So in the process, uh, documenting diseases that exist that, as I mentioned, may not necessarily cause the death but may be present uh, in those that did cause the deaths uh, are certainly important pieces of information for surviving family members. In general, so when you go to your doctor, one of the things that they typically will ask you about is your family history, right? So they want to know about your parents or your siblings, uh, and do they have any diseases or what medical conditions do they have? Uh, having that information, uh, or obtaining that information through an autopsy is useful, uh, for surviving family members to know certain conditions that that individual had. That doesn't mean that all of those conditions are going to uh, appear uh, in family members because there's a lot of factors that play into, let's say heart disease. Uh, There's lifestyle choices that affect how that happens, such as smoking and uh, other uh, risk factors, but there's, there is a family history component to it, or a genetic component, if you will. Uh, but it's it's not an absolute per se. There's other less common situations where a disease has a very clear genetic abnormality associated with it, uh, and I'll try and give you an example. Uh, there is an entity called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Yeah. Uh, and that's a condition where there is a genetic abnormality in, in one of the genes, uh, that code or that, uh, dictate some of the proteins that are involved in the heart muscles. Uh, uh, and when an individual has that abnormality, their heart becomes very enlarged and thickened. Uh, and that can predispose them for obviously problems with their heart, including what we call sudden death or, uh. Uh, cardiac arrest, Uh, that tends to be something that happens in relatively younger individuals, but if we're able to identify something like that, that clearly has a genetic component to it, uh, we can do confirmatory testing uh, and identify that gene and then help uh, surviving family members potentially get tested uh, for that disorder.
0: This is Upstate's The Informed Patient podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking to Dr. Robert Stoppaker. He's a professor of pathology at Upstate, and he oversees the University Hospital Autopsy Service. Well, let me ask you a little more about the University Hospital Autopsy Service. Is this just for people who pass away in the hospital?
1: Primarily, that's uh, what the autopsy service uh, does. uh relates to or involves individuals that die uh, at upstate or community uh, general hospital. Uh, Uh, However, uh, our policy is that if uh, someone was seen at any of the upstate hospitals within the past six months and dies outside of the hospital, let's say at a nursing home or a rehabilitation facility or at home, uh, then that we will perform uh, the autopsy in those situations. Uh, We also do uh, a significant amount of what we call private autopsies that are from individuals, not from the upstate system. And and those might be individuals that die in a hospital that doesn't perform autopsy examinations and they're interested in knowing. Or simply uh, in situations where the family wants to know more about the the processes that uh, resulted in their loved one's death, but they don't have the ability, based on where, they, where the death occurred or where they lived, to have an autopsy done locally.
0: So can anyone request an autopsy, and how is it paid for? Is, does insurance cover it?
1: Uh, so any upstate patient or recently discharged uh, upstate patient, uh, those autopsies uh, are done at no cost to the family or the patient. Uh, that's part of the uh, quality assurance uh, program that Upstate has, and we do those autopsies at no charge. Uh, in contrast, the private autopsies that I talked about, that's that's just usually something that is associated with a fee for performing those. Uh, with respect to who can request an autopsy, uh, there are very strict guidelines as far as consenting or providing authorization to perform an autopsy examination. Uh, and those follow what we call the legal next of kin. So legally there's certain individuals that are your next of kin. Don't have a better way to say that. Uh, so for example, a spouse would be the closest next of kin, uh followed by children. Uh, and as you can imagine you go further uh, out, out down the line, uh, we follow that process, uh, in obtaining consent for an autopsy examination. Uh, I do want to point out, uh, it's oftentimes, uh, that individuals may have, uh, a power of attorney, uh, or a medical proxy, uh, during their life, as far as treatment decisions and so forth, uh, however, those uh, entities, if you will, die uh, no longer exist when an individual dies. Uh, so a healthcare proxy does not exist, if you will, after that individual dies, and 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 that's in part the reason why we use the legal next as the individuals that would need to consent for and authorize the autopsy
0: examination. Do you have advice for relatives who want to understand more about how their loved one died? What do they need to know about seeking an autopsy?
1: Uh, It's important uh, that uh, patients and their families have an understanding of of what an autopsy involves and what it can and and can't accomplish. Uh, You know, we talked about uh, an autopsy examination uh, in the form, the different components of it and so forth. there are situations where we may do a limited autopsy examination. So for example, in a situation where a family's concern is really focused on, uh, if their loved one had dementia. Uh, and so we may only uh, examine the brain, uh, through a specialist neuropathologist that looks at the brain in great detail, uh, or they may simply want to know, uh, if the mass that they, the, that they found in the lung, but shortly before the person passed away is that cancer. Uh, and we don't necessarily have to do the, an entire, a complete autopsy examination, uh, looking at every organ. Certainly that's, will provide the most information, but there are other, uh, opportunities or other ways to get more focused answers in this process uh, I think can benefit lots of families. It, it does not cause any significant delay in, in services or, or issues with respect to viewing or funeral services beyond that. So I think there's a lot that can be learned through an autopsy. And, and if there's questions uh, that someone may have about an autopsy on their loved one, certainly. First line uh, would be to talk to their doctors that are taking care of them and, and uh, ask them about it. And if that uh, and if they can't answer it, then they will reach out to us through the autopsy service who uh, are happy to talk to them or the physicians directly.
0: That's good to know. Uh, well, getting back to television, what have you seen on TV programs get right about autopsies and what have you seen them get wrong?
1: I mean, I think most of us have seen some sort of, uh, TV drama, uh, be it NCIS, uh, or CSI and you can insert whatever acronym you want. Uh, but you know, they certainly, there's a couple of things that are not accurate in, in those situations. One, the autopsy takes a little bit longer, uh, and we don't get answers in the half hour time slot that they're slotted. Uh, same holds true for DNA testing and any other lab work. You can imagine it has to be a little bit more, some license is given to make it more entertaining. Uh, I think that the bottom line is the basic gist of what is done at an autopsy, uh, is relatively accurate. I think there's a little bit of. Uh, license, uh, taken to ex allow people to explain exactly what happened based on, uh, the autopsy findings when it's not re- it quite like that in reality. So for example, you'll freak, you may see on a TV show that the medical examiner looks at a body and says they died, you know, three hours and 22 minutes earlier when in all reality, that's not possible. Uh. And so I I think it's a little bit sensationalized for obvious reasons, but the basic tenets uh, of the autopsy uh, aren't that far from the truth.
0: Well, well, thank you for making time for this interview, Dr. Stoppaker.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you.
0: My guest has been Dr. Robert Stoppaker. He's a professor of pathology at Upstate who oversees the University Hospital Autopsy Service. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.